Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Monday, May 24th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database. You can subscribe to the premium model. And, of course, you can track my picks from the daily MLB article under my name, Skating Tripods, in that ATS app. The daily article is posted and updated for today. Smaller card around baseball with just eight games for this Monday afternoon and evening, but still talked about a lot of things in that article. And of course, we'll have a lot more as we head on through the rest of the week here. Lots of other good things happening over at ATS.io for you to check out. WNBA coverage, NBA and NHL playoff coverage. I'll have a golf preview for you for this week's event. UFC previews up over there as well to go along with NASCAR. And of course, all the MLB content that we have on the regular as well. So make sure you check all that out over at ATS.io. We'll have Brian Blessing back on the show tomorrow as well. We'll talk some NHL playoffs. We'll talk some golf stuff, maybe a little bit of NASCAR, all kinds of things on that edition of ATS Radio with Brian Blessing on Tuesday. With that, we get to the traditional format here of the betters box. We'll take a look beyond the box score, go down the lines, give you a pick for Monday night's action, and then preview a few series here for the week ahead. And before I dive fully in to the betters box, just want to remind you that you can sign up for the notes from the betters box shows, the script that I basically go off of as I make sure I cover everything on the podcast by emailing me skatingtripods at gmail.com. Several hundred of you have already taken advantage of that opportunity to get the notes, but make sure you email me skatingtripods at gmail.com to get on the list here for the betters box show notes. With that, as I said, we'll go beyond the box score here and taking a look at updated offensive numbers for the month of May, 243 average. That's up 11 points from the month of April, 318 on base up nine points from April 402 slugging percentage is up 13 points from the month of April. That strikeout rate is still a little bit lower, sitting at 23.7%, was 24.4% in April. Walk rate, 9% for May, was 8.9% in April, so up a tiny bit there. But the biggest difference to me is that the batting average on balls in play, up from 283 in April to 296 here, in the month of May. So more balls are finding holes. Batting average has gone up in the month of May here. And it's not just because the strikeout percentage has fallen, but it's also because hitters are having better fortunes on their batted balls. So I want to take a little bit of a look here, kind of go through some of the stats, some of the things that I was kind of considering as to why offense has increased here in the month of May. So let's look at the home run rate. Has that changed? in any discernible fashion? Well, the answer is no. The home run to fly ball percentage in April, 13.4%. The home run to fly ball percentage in May, 13.4%. So that has not changed. Batted ball distance on fly balls and line drives in the month of April was 286, 286 feet. In the month of May, 284 feet. So interestingly enough, slugging percentage has gone up. Batting average has gone up but batted ball distance on fly balls and line drives has actually gone down. And if we look at fly ball batted ball distance, specifically 318 feet in April, 317 feet in May. 
So what's really interesting about this to me is that the weather has warmed up quite considerably in a lot of places here in the month of May, but the ball is not carrying any better. The ball is not traveling any farther. So do we have maybe an increase in exit velocity? Well, no. Average exit velocity in the month of April, 88.3 miles per hour. Average exit velocity in May, 88.2 miles per hour. So we've seen this offensive increase, and we have seen within the course of a season, Major League Baseball shift gears and change the baseball based on any kind of feedback that they've gotten, based on what's happening around the league, all of that. Even though the offensive environment this season is quite a bit lower than any of the recent seasons that we've had, pretty much as low as we've had since about 2014, I do not see any evidence, I do not see any indication that the ball has changed. So this offensive uptick in the month of May has nothing to do with a different baseball. It is not that at all whatsoever. The baseball still looks the same to me. It's not carrying any farther. It's not traveling any farther. It's not getting hit any harder. But we do have better offensive numbers here in the month of May. So as I said, one of the biggest reasons is because the strikeout rate has gone down 0.7%. That is a big deal. That will increase batting average. Anytime you get an increased number of balls in play, there's a higher probability that some of those will find holes. So I think that that development in and of itself, the decreased strikeout percentage, is a big one. However, what I also see here is that batters are making adjustments. They realize that the ball is not carrying, not traveling as far as it has in past seasons. So we look at batted ball type distributions comparing April and May. April had a 20.9% line drive percentage. May sits here at 21.3%. And line drives are the most optimal form of contact. They are hit the hardest. They have the best chance of falling in because you think about fly balls, that encompasses a lot. That encompasses anything really hit in the air. That could be a pop-up. That could be a deep fly ball. That could be a blooper, something like that. Whereas line drives are generally going to be the best kind of contact. They're hit at the more optimal launch angles for getting hits. So a 0.4% increase in line drives is definitely a good thing for batters around the league as a whole. The ground ball percentage is up a little bit from 43.4% to 43.6%. And both line drives and ground balls, of course, being taken away from fly balls, where the fly ball percentage has fallen from 35.7% to 35.1%. So I believe that what we're seeing here in the month of May, hitters are very perceptive. Teams have all these analytics in front of them. Hitters are making changes. It seems to me like there has been a slight change in launch angle where guys are not trying to elevate the baseball as much, but just trying to make solid contact, whether that's on the ground or with a line drive. So my guess here is that hitters have made this batted ball adjustment, and that's another reason why offense has gone up a little bit. And I would anticipate that this continues as we go throughout the summer months. Maybe hitters try to elevate a little bit more if we start seeing that the hot weather conditions do affect the baseball in a way where it does carry more. But for right now, hitters are more focused on just making quality contact as opposed to elevating the baseball. Elevating the baseball worked a lot in 2019. 
It worked a lot in 2017 and to a degree in 2018 as well. But now with the different baseball, you're not getting rewarded as much for hitting those fly balls. So it does appear to me that hitters have made that cognizant adjustment here for the month of May. And as a result, we have seen offense go up a little bit. And to that end, pull percentage, percentage of batted balls that are pulled to the hitter's pull side has gone down from 40.2% to 39.7%. So maybe a little bit indicative of a you know whole field approach, maybe kind of trying to center on the baseball, hit it back up the middle, stuff like that. So pull percentage and fly ball percentage have gone down. So hitters have come to that realization that this will not be as good of a year for power as we've seen in the past. So they are making their adjustments, and that is a big reason why offense has gone up a little bit. You know, and I've also seen, too, there's been some speculation out there, I think in the fantasy community especially, kind of taking a look at not only pitcher injuries and all the guys that have been hurt, but a lot of teams kind of brought guys up at the tail end of 2020 sort of to give them a look because there's only so much you can figure out at the alternate training site facing all of your same guys and all that kind of thing. But some teams probably came into 2020 kind of looking to hold status quo. But now, now that we've got the minor league baseball seasons well underway, having started in the first week of May, we've seen teams kind of make some more roster changes, kind of do some different things with guys that have been struggling, something like that. So teams have a little bit more roster flexibility, it would appear at this point in time. So I think that's probably something that's had a little bit of an impact as well. But primarily the two things to me with April and May, the decrease in strikeout percentage and the increase here in line drives and ground balls, which are a lot more likely to go for hits than fly balls. So that's why BABIP has gone up about 13 points. It is not any sort of tangible change to the baseball that I can see. Maybe that changes throughout the summer months. I don't know. But from what I see right now, We're still dealing with the same baseball. It's just that hitters have made their adjustments. Two weeks ago, back on May 10th, I talked about starting pitchers with high and low left on base percentage marks. Guys that were extreme outliers in both of those departments. So I just wanted to revisit this two weeks later where a lot of these guys have made a couple of starts in that span and just sort of illustrate to you that The most extreme of the outliers generally will come down the quickest or go up the quickest. So when I looked at that list back on May 10th, and again, that was two weeks ago, 87% or higher with the left on base percentage. We had John Means, Huascar Enoa, Yu Darvish, Max Scherzer, Michael Pineda, Trevor Bauer, Danny Duffy, Mike Fultonevich, Kevin Gaussman, and Tyler Glass now. Well, now... The list of guys at 87% or higher of qualified pitchers, which means they've pitched enough innings per game played to be eligible for the ERA title. Robbie Ray is now number one. John Means is still in there. Hugh Darvish is still in there. Trevor Bauer, Max Scherzer, and Kevin Gaussman are all still in there. But for the most part, these guys have either gone down a little bit or have maybe been hurt. Michael Pineda and Huascar Inoa, both guys on the injured list. Danny Duffy was 87% or higher. He's down to 81.4%. Mike Fultonevich has fallen to 79.2%. Glass now has fallen out of that group to 84.4%. So again, we're not talking about significant decreases of, you know, 10, 12%, anything like that. But what we do see is that 
incrementally, little by little, these guys do go down in that department. So they are giving up more runs. They are allowing more base runners to score. So those are the things I really wanted to look at here and why I focus on the most extreme of the outliers because these ones have the highest degree of confidence that they will go down. I talked about eight starting pitchers that were under 65% here. Austin Gomber was at 48.8%. Luis Castillo, 54. Charlie Morton, 58.1. Dylan Bundy was at 60%. Nate Uvalde, 60.8. And again, this is left on base percentage. It's a very important metric because if you're stranding runners, you're not giving up runs. If you're not stranding runners, you're probably giving up a lot more runs than you should be if you had a league average left on base percentage. So guys like Mike Miner and Carlos Martinez and Ryan Yarbrough were all in that under 65% group. When you look at Gomber through two starts, he's gone up 7% with his left on base percentage since we last talked about him two weeks ago. Dylan Bundy, he's still down there in that 60% range, but Bundy is definitely a positive regression candidate. Nate Yavaldi's gone up 2% in this department. Mike Miner's gone up 4%. Carlos Martinez up more than 3%. Ryan Yarborough still lagging behind in this department, although, again, he's a positive regression guy for me. But again, what I would just wanted to illustrate here is that when you look at the extreme outliers, again, you have a much higher degree of confidence with these guys than you would with a lot of other guys. They will get better. They will go up. What that means from a betting standpoint is up for you to decide. But again, it may be a slow climb. It may be a slow descent, but it will happen. You can say with almost a 100% degree of certainty that over the sample size of a season, these extreme outliers will either positively regress to the mean or negatively regress to the mean. So that's something that you definitely want to be taking a look at on a regular basis here across Major League Baseball. Something else I wanted to talk about here on today's show, underdogs. The month of April was really good for underdogs, you know, especially the first half of the month of April. Underdogs got off to a really good start. You know, the baseball and the changes to the baseball really impacted a lot of good offenses, a lot of good teams like the Dodgers, like the Braves. Some of those teams that hit a lot of fly balls, live on the long ball, hit for a lot of power. Well, they came into the season and they struggled a little bit. You know, we saw some teams get off to very slow starts for a variety of different reasons. But also, too, the month of underdogs is usually April. Usually the playing field is a little bit leveler than it usually is because you get a lot of pitchers, you know, coming out of spring training. Everybody's kind of on equal footing trying to get their timing down, get their command down, you know, all those different kinds of things. Underdogs typically do well in the month of April. And to be honest with you, they did very well. Underdogs cashed outright in the month of April at 43.6% using the Killer Sports database. That's killersports.com. 43.6% clip with an average line of plus 141. $100 betters were up almost $1,200 on underdogs across the board in April, according to that Killer Sports database. And this was something that I talked about a lot in the month of April, where the offensive environment created lower scoring games, gave some of those bad teams because the bad teams don't have good offenses. And usually the bad teams have pretty bad pitching staffs as well. So if the ball's not going to carry, if teams aren't going to be able to score as many runs as they usually do, that gives underdogs a chance, you know, because then it becomes a game about sequencing. 
what happens with men in scoring position. And even the bad teams, generally their best relievers are still going to be pretty good. So if they're protecting leads, and as I've talked about a lot so far this season, 83% of the time across the board, teams will lead after five innings win that game. It's not just 83% with the A's or the Padres or the Rays or the Indians or any of the great bullpens that are out there. It's 83% of the time, period, across the board. So you had some of these starters that were able to survive because of what was happening with the baseball, because those adjustments I talked about hadn't been made to that point. So underdogs in April did really well. You know, we saw a lot of teams hovering in that 500 range, teams that weren't very good hovering in that 500 range. Here's the thing, though. Things changed in May. Things have changed in the month of May. And when you think about the best teams that are out there, generally speaking, they're also the most analytically savvy. So the teams that would take all of the data, much like we've done here on this show and in the article, the teams that would take all of that data from April and say, all right, boys, we got to make some adjustments here. We got to do some things differently. And they've got all that talent in the world in the lineup and in the pitching staff to be able to do that. So it stands to reason that you've got this feeling out process in the month of April. But once you get into the month of May, the best teams make the best adjustments. The best players, the best pitchers, the best hitters make the best adjustments. Those teams are generally going to, as they always say, the cream rises to the top and all of that. The best teams are going to do that. So underdogs in April, 43.6%, $100 betters up about $1,200. Underdogs in May, 38.6%, average line plus 140, $100 betters in the month of May, down over $3,200 if you bet every dog across the board. That's minus 11% ROI based on the numbers from the killersports.com database. And here's the thing that's hidden a little bit in this data where the average line is in that same, you know, plus 140 range. What we saw was, We saw lines for some of the good teams kind of get pulled down a little bit. And we saw lines for some of the bad teams get pulled up a little bit. What happened was the betting market and the odds makers became slaves to the moment where it was something unsustainable that was taking place. There were some teams that were not good at all that were playing pretty well. And I knew it wasn't going to continue. And I wish I had hopped on some of these teams a little bit earlier in the month of May But what we saw was we saw a lot of mispricings out there in the marketplace. A lot of recency bias came into play. And now what we're seeing is that heavy favorites are crushing it in the month of May. It felt like the significantly overachieving underdogs got too much respect out there in the marketplace. And the good teams did what good teams do. They adjusted. They looked at what this Major League Baseball run environment was going to look like, and they said, okay, we got to do things differently. Or they simply got better. They simply were on the wrong side of variance in the month of April. Think about a team like Atlanta, for example, offensively, where Atlanta got off to a pretty slow start on offense. Now they are at a blistering pace. The Padres, same thing with them. You know, I talked about their results on high-velocity contact and how they should be better than they are. Well, they've won 13 of 14 games now and just about all of them in a favorite role. So 
that's what happens here is that some good teams get off the slow starts and you get all those headlines. What's wrong with so-and-so? What's wrong with this team? Why aren't they playing well? Is it a World Series hangover for the Dodgers, who have now won, what, seven in a row, I think? You know, you get all of these narratives, all this clickbait bullshit that skews perception in the marketplace. It, It really causes a lot of these teams that aren't very good to get put up on a pedestal that they don't belong on. And it causes these teams that are good to be questioned. And that's one of the biggest things, if you're able to take advantage of it, if you're able to see through it all in the betting markets, and this is something why modelers are so lucky in this regard. If you can see through the biases and the narratives and the bullshit and the irrelevant stuff that gets written about by journalists and analysts out there, you can make a lot of money betting on sports. As long as you don't fall victim to, you know, looking at those things and, and, and believing them and treating them as gospel. And yes, sometimes there is something there. Sometimes there is something to it where a team just, there's something wrong, where a team just isn't going to perform up to its capabilities. But for the most part, because we are a knee-jerk, instant gratification society, and, and especially here with the recent generations that are you know, starting to get into the betting world, you get a lot of emotional appeals that pull people in the wrong direction across all sports betting markets, but especially Major League Baseball. And that's what we had here. We had underdogs priced at ranges that they absolutely should not have been. We had favorites priced too low. The market would correct some of them, would miss on some others. But that's what happened. And that happens a fair amount of the time in Major League Baseball. But I think it was magnified this season because of the environmental conditions where underdogs got off to such a good start, not because they are that much better or not because the good teams are that much worse, but simply because the run environment and the baseball created a much tighter environment that gave underdogs the chance to not only compete, but also the chance to potentially thrive. Now that everybody has made their adjustments Now that we're 45, 50 games into the season, we're seeing the good teams do what good teams do. So here's something I want to take a look at here. And I've talked about this a lot on the show in the past. And it's kind of an arbitrary cutoff number where I take a look at minus 180 or higher favorites. Because I think there are a lot of people out there that will lay up to 150, that'll maybe lay up to 175. But as you start getting into that situation where you're betting close to $200 to win $100, something like that, people shy away from the favorites. They shy away from that heavy chalk because, again, it's just one of those emotionally biased types of things where you lose a minus 200 favorite and that that sticks with you for a long period of time. You know, you get pissed off at that team for not doing what they're supposed to do in that big favorite role. So a lot of people just don't like to lay chalk. You know, they won't, they won't do it. And, and 2020 was a much different year. So I'm not cherry picking. I'm just, I'm leaving that out of the sample size because we had COVID, we had the shortened season, all those other different types of things that, you know, made for a really strange environment, something we've never seen before and something that we will never see again. So I'm leaving 2020 out and it's not just to, to push my agenda or push my narrative here. It's just because 2020 was a season that, a lot of people drew a line through for a variety of different reasons. 
But here's what I'm here to tell you. Minus 180 or higher favorites. In 2019, one at a 73.2% clip, average line minus 235.1. According to the Killer Sports database, $100 betters on favorites of minus 180 or higher, up over $9,500, 6% ROI in that department. 2018, 73.1% win rate for favorites minus 180 or higher. Average line minus 224.8. $100 betters up over $9,400, 6.5% ROI. 2017, 72.8%. Average line almost 220. $100 betters up 6,800 bucks, 6.7% ROI. 2016 was an outlier season at 69.3%. Average line minus 216.1. $100 betters were only up about 1900 only a 1.9% ROI. But in 2015, 71.5% average line minus 20, almost minus 209. $100 betters up 3840, 6.2% ROI. So if you laid minus 180 or higher favorites across the board, from 2015 to 2019, in four of those five seasons, you had a 6% ROI or better, according to the Killer Sports Database. And I believe that they use the five dimes closing lines. So I know that we're a US-facing show, but I believe they use the five dimes closers uh, in that uh, database there that they have. But minus 180 or higher favorites so far this season, only 68.2%. $100 betters only up 400 bucks. But remember what I just talked about. April was very good to dogs. May has been very good to favorites and specifically big favorites. So minus 180 or higher favorites in the month of May. And again, kind of an arbitrary cutoff number here, but I think minus 180 is where you start getting into heavy chalk, in my opinion. Minus 180 or higher favorites in May are 47 and 11. That's over 81%. Average line minus 212.3. This month alone, if you've bet on every minus 180 or higher favorite, $100 betters are up $2,460, a 20% ROI, according to the Killer Sports database. So the reason I mentioned this is because a lot of people are scared to lay chalk in Major League Baseball. Don't be. And when you think about what happens with those line moves, with the big favorites, the aces that get steamed up 20, 30, 40 cents, something like that, it's not just because they're aces. It's because they win a very high percentage of those games and their teams win a very high percentage of those games. So April was the month of the underdog. May has been the month of the favorite. And even though we still have this depressed offensive environment, The good teams, the more talented teams should make the adjustments. So as we go forward here throughout the rest of this season, and when you look at what the good teams have done, Tampa Bay's ripped off 10 in a row. Dodgers have won seven in a row, I think. Padres have won nine in a row, just swept a homestand against almost all inferior teams. You know, the White Sox keep winning games as a favorite. This is what I think will happen throughout the rest of the season And recent history tells us that that has been the case. Again, 2020, a significant outlier in a lot of ways. But I think that we've, the underdogs have had their fun, I believe. I think the favorites 
are now going to have a lot of fun as we go forward here. So just some food for thought, something for you to keep in mind that if you're trying to go out there playing underdogs, I think at this point in time, we've seen a little bit of a market correction where favorites are being priced a lot closer to where they should be. And underdogs are not getting as much of the benefit of the doubt. So I just want to talk about those numbers here on today's show. And then lastly here, using that killer sports database, and it can be tough to run some of the queries. Uh, my good friend, Rolf Michaels, is very good at doing it. Uh, but you can check out a lot of those queries over at Killer Sports Database. Uh, John Ryan, another guy who works over at Sports Memo, he's good at running a lot of these queries as well. But it looks like in April, over 382 games, the under was 201, 170, and 10. But here in the month of May, over 311 games, the over 160, 142, and 9. So scoring is up. We have talked about that. That's something I know that we've discussed quite a bit here on this show with regards to April and May. But you know, it does seem like the odds makers have adjusted a little bit more and also two betters have adjusted a lot more as we've seen a lot of those totals getting bet up half a run or maybe even a full run here for this month. So a lot of food for thought, a lot of numbers, percentages, all that kind of thing as you always get on the show. Email me, skatingtripods at gmail.com. You can get on the list for the betters box notes. We go down the lines here, take a look at some line moves dating back to Friday, and we saw some Brewers money coming in on Adrian Hauser uh, against the Reds and Jeff Hoffman. Hoffman pitches on Wednesday this week, so we'll see if that was just a position on Hauser, a position on the Brewers, or if it was a fade of Jeff Hoffman. We'll kind of wait and see what that looks like here on Wednesday. Ian Anderson took money for the Braves against the Pirates and Tyler Anderson. The Braves took money in all three games of this series. The Braves have taken money a lot here of late. Their prices have been very, very high. I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. I finally just went ahead and laid a run line with the Braves on Sunday. That was an easy winner there against JT Brubaker, who I do like, but Brubaker was a regression candidate. Gave up seven runs in that start. Now his numbers look a lot more like they should. So maybe he got that bad juju out of his system there with that terrible start. Kyle Hendricks and the Cubs took money against the Cardinals and the Cubs also took money on Saturday with Adbert Alzali on the mound against um oh boy who was it on Saturday uh Miles Mikolas uh, in that game on Saturday for the Cardinals who left hurt once again but the Cubs took money in the first two games of that series then we saw Zach Davies fade on Sunday a little bit of Cardinals money on Adam Wainwright uh Cubs did win that finale two to one so seems like there is an anti-Cardinals sentiment out there in the marketplace something for you to watch as we go forward. Apparently the market felt like Trevor Bauer was priced a little bit too high on Friday in the Dodgers and Giants series against Alex Wood. Bauer pitched very well in that one. Dodgers did take that game down, but that was a line that dropped, I believe about 20 to 25 cents uh, with Bauer and Wood in that one. And the Giants and the Dodgers will run it back again this upcoming weekend with a four game series at Dodgers stadium. So Mike Miner takes some money. That was against Jose Urania and the Detroit Tigers. Miner, one of those guys with that low left on base percentage. Market kind of betting against the Tigers right now a little bit. I don't think that a lot of people believe in what Detroit has been doing here over the last two or three weeks. I don't really believe in it either, uh, but we saw some Royals money in that series against the Tigers. We'll see what it looks like this week when the Indians take on the Tigers. So money coming on the Padres in all three games against the Mariners. It wasn't a lot on Saturday, kind of some small line movement there, probably some money line parlay exposure or something like that. But 
I'm pissed off at myself, man. You know, I, I talked about it on the show that the Mariners were ripe for free fall mode. I looked at a lot of their metrics, didn't like a lot of what I was seeing, liked a lot of what I was seeing in terms of positive regression for the Padres. Talked about, you know, their results on batted balls of high velocity contact and all of that. I should have played the Padres in all three games. I should have played the Padres run line in all three games. You know, one of the things that's difficult for me is doing this show. I look at a lot of these macro trends. You know, I look at a lot of these, this team's ripe for positive regression. This team's ripe for negative regression and all of that. And then you get to game day and the odds still have to line up. You know, you you still have to feel you're getting a good price in that game. And Sometimes the price keeps me off of something where, you know, it's a macro kind of overall trend line that I'm looking for and I don't play it because I become a slave to the line. And it's a hard line to walk because we know that getting the best of the number, the best of the number that you can is very important in this business. We know that closing line value is one of the best indicators of future success but there are a lot of times where I'm dead on with something dead on with a team. that's going to get hot or a team. that's going to get cold. And I don't follow through with it because of what the day-to-day lines say. And, and that's very frustrating to me. And I've yet to find even doing this for over a decade, I've still yet to find that perfect middle, you know, that, that balance between following through with what I'm seeing and also taking a price that's maybe, not exactly where I wanted it to be. So that's frustrating. It's something that I'm still working on, you know, something I still have to try to come to terms with, you know, and especially if it's something where the line moves 15 cents overnight and I'm like, well, I can't play that now. Maybe I can, you know, and and that's one of those things where I'm not a modeler, right? I don't know exactly what the line should be. So if a line moves 15 cents, Maybe if I was modeling, I would still have it 20 cents higher or something like that. You know, I don't know. And I think a lot of people do get scared off of playing things because the line has already moved. And the idea is, well, there's no value in that number anymore. The reality is, unless you're setting your own numbers, you don't know if there's still value in that number or not. You know you're not getting the best of it, but you may not be getting the worst of it either. So that's something that I'm really trying to come to terms with here and really trying to work my way through of if I think a team is a play on team, I should probably follow through with it. Even if the numbers look a little bit high to me, because I'm doing a lot of hard work. I'm doing more hard work than most people out there in the markets are to analyze and evaluate and interpret this data. So if I'm not going to believe in it myself, who is, you know, how can I expect other people to believe in it? If I'm not following through. So that Mariners Padres series was kind of a microcosm of it all. And something that I kind of thought about a lot here this morning of, I knew the Padres were going to get better. I knew the Mariners were going to get worse. Should have followed through. And I didn't. And, And that's something that's very frustrating to me. And something that, again, you know, is just kind of part of this maturation process as a handicapper and as a better. And hopefully something I can do better with as we go forward here. Saturday, seeing money on Madison Bumgarner and the Diamondbacks. That was against the Rockies and Antonio Senzatella. Uh, Senzatella, not a guy that a lot of people out there like. Bumgarner pitching a lot better here of late. Rockies did win that game. Uh, but, you know, the line movement there, 
pretty well defined on the Bumgarner side. So Friday, we saw money on Hauser and the Brewers. Saturday, we saw money on the Reds and Sonny Gray against Brett Anderson. Brewers did come away with that victory, but Sonny Gray taking money there in that one. I've talked about this before, but sometimes it's the line moves that don't happen that should say a lot to you. So Astros and Rangers on Saturday, and I'm not a big believer in the Rangers at all whatsoever. Lance McCullers and Jordan Lyles was the pitching matchup in that one. We've seen a lot of money on McCullers here so far this season. I think a lot of people, like me, believe that the Rangers just aren't a very good team. And Jordan Lyles is a guy that gets bet against with regularity out there in the marketplace. I mean, he takes money against him in almost every start he makes. On Saturday, with a guy in McCullers that the market likes and a guy in Lyles that the market doesn't like, the line didn't really move. So that's one that very much caught my attention. Similarly, the Kenta Maeda and Shane Bieber start, where Shane Bieber is an ace. Shane Bieber is a guy, based on what we see with guys like Garrett Cole and Jacob deGrom and all them, Bieber's a guy that should take money every time he pitches. He didn't on Saturday. And and part of that could have been, you know, the Indians have had very little success with Kenta Maeda since he came over uh, from the Dodgers. Maeda shut them down a lot last year. But also, this is not the same Kenta Maeda this season. Money didn't really come in on either side in that game. Indians wound up winning in extra innings. But again, the line moves that don't happen on the overnight are something that I wind up paying very close attention to. Sunday, as I mentioned, the Cardinals did take some money there. Adam Wainwright against Zach Davies. Very heavy money on Jamison Tyon against Dallas Keuchel and the White Sox. I think a lot of people are skeptical, myself included, of what the White Sox are doing right now. And if they face a righty that's got good stuff, I think we'll see some of this anti-Chicago sentiment. Now, tonight they face a lefty and the line's gone to the moon. But when they face a righty that's got good stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if the market kind of comes in against the White Sox. So another one of those macro trends that you may want to take a look at here as we go forward. The Rangers took money on Sunday. That was Mike Fultonevich on the mound there. Uh, Fultonevich, not a guy that I like. Left on base percentage, still too high. But Texas took the money there against the Astros and Christian Javier. On Sunday, like I talked about already, uh, the Padres took money in just about all three games. Darvish took a lot of it on Sunday. And that was one where the Padres won that game comfortably. Taking a look at Monday here, a little bit of Trevor Rogers' money has come in for the Marlins against the Phillies and Zach Eflin. I'm on the under three and a half for the first five in that one. Uh, Marlins Park, not a good offensive venue. Two bad offenses here. Rogers has been very, very good. Eflin, the command profile is a little bit iffy, but he doesn't walk guys, doesn't create his own problems. It's not like the Marlins are a good offensive team. They don't hit for a lot of power, especially at home. So I took the under three and a half for the first five in that one. Seeing some Mets money here. The Road Rockies fade continues. It blows my mind to see a total of six and a half in that game. I couldn't bet it with Austin Gomber and David Peterson, but man, a six and a half in, in city field, you know, with no, I mean, just marginal pitchers, just guys who don't have a ton of upside. Crazy to see a six and a half there, but the Rockies have only scored 2.8 runs per game on the road through 19 games this season. And they are two and 17 on the road. Brandon Woodruff taking some money for the Brewers. That's Blake Snell and the Padres in that one. 
I took the under seven in this one. It did touch seven and a half for a brief period of time, but I like under seven here. You know, the Brewers are not a good offensive team at all. The Padres are hitting very well, but also the Padres just got done playing the Rockies twice, the Mariners, the Cardinals, whose pitching staff is fine, but I don't think it's that great. Brandon Woodruff and the potential for Devin Williams and Josh Hader, big upgrade here for the Padres. So I went ahead and took under seven there. I think Blake Snell will be good enough. Brewers have struck out, and I think it's over 30% of their plate appearances against lefties, something like that. They strike out a lot to begin with, but they've struck out a lot against lefties. Do think Keston here gets recalled for this one, so we'll see if the Brewers get an upgrade offensively from that. But I did take under seven in that Padres-Brewers game with Snell and Woodruff on the mound. 20-cent line move here on Spencer Turnbull and the Tigers, taking on Sam Hentges and the Indians. Not a big surprise here. The Indians now missing Franmil Reyes. Their offense sucks enough without losing Franmil Reyes. Turnbull, guy I love. Market seems to like him too. Coming off the no-hitter. Not a surprise to see that move at all. Uh, But the Indians, as I'll talk about here in a few minutes, have had Detroit's number quite a bit over the last several years. Finally here, as I mentioned already, the White Sox facing a lefty. That's Kwang Hyung Kim for the Cardinals. Lance Lynn facing his former team for the White Sox. That line's jumped about 30 cents. And I would expect that every time the White Sox face a non-elite lefty as we go forward here. So with that, we take a look at the week ahead. And we start with that Indians and Tigers series. And as I mentioned, the Indians have really beaten up on the Tigers. Dating back to and including the 2016 season, the Indians are 69-22 and against Detroit. That includes a season, I believe, 2019, where the Indians were 18-1 and against Detroit. They've won at least 13 games against the Tigers every year, with the exception, of course, of 2020, where I believe they were 7-3 and in the 10 meetings. But the Indians have dominated the Tigers. This current version of the Indians, well, I'm not so sure. Tonight, Sam Hedges and Spencer Turnbull. Tomorrow on Tuesday night, Aaron Savale and Tarek Skubal. The market hates Tarek Skubal. He must be one of the lowest projected guys, according to the modeling crowd. So we'll see what happens with that line move on Tuesday between the Tigers and the Indians. To be determined, and Jose Urena for the Indians on Wednesday, the Indians and Tigers, excuse me. I don't think the Indians will go with a bullpen game. It's Eli Morgan's turn in the rotation at AAA. So we'll see if they go with him on Wednesday. He had a good start last time out, kind of struggled a little bit in his first two starts. We'll see if they bring him up and give him a look. Otherwise, it could be a bullpen, Johnny Holstaff kind of day for them. And then Shane Bieber and Matt Boyd on Thursday. You know, I think it's interesting. You've got kind of this anti-Tigers sentiment, but the Indians, not really a whole lot to like with them right now. You know, Jose Ramirez, the only above average hitter in the lineup. Cesar Hernandez has been a little bit better of late. Josh Naylor is okay, but their offense looks really bad on paper. You know, not their best group of starters here in this series. The bullpen's good, but beyond that, I don't know. So interesting to see what happens with that series and also with the line movement there in that series. The Rockies and the Mets, Austin Gomber, David Peterson tonight, Chichi Gonzalez and Jacob deGrom on Tuesday. I don't know if they'll let deGrom go deep enough, but if they do, that might be our our next no-hitter because the Rockies are just deplorable away from home. Herman Marquez, Marcus Stroman Wednesday, Antonio Senzatella, to be determined for the Mets on Thursday. As I mentioned, the Rockies, 2.8 runs per game on the road, 2-17 and 17 on the road going into this series. 
Yeah, they just swept the Diamondbacks, but the Diamondbacks are missing four guys from their starting offensive lineup, and they've been free-falling right now, much to the chagrin of my season win total ticket. So don't think that because the Rockies just won three in a row that they've figured something out. That's a lot more about Arizona. So we'll see if this is a get-right series for the Mets, uh, but, you know, again, they've had their problems offensively as well. Padres and Brewers here. Blake Snell, Brandon Woodruff, Joe Musgrove, Corbin Burns, Chris Paddock, Adrian Hauser, and then to be determined and um, Brett Anderson on Thursday. Four games set here in this one. Padres, again, 13 of 14 they've won. Nine in a row they've won. Just swept that homestand. But they get some better pitching here in this series and also a lot of ground ball guys. So we'll see how that kind of plays out for them. Uh, Brewers, as I mentioned, I think they add Keston Hira. He's been swinging it very well down in Nashville. So it looks like a good time to bring him back up. They could use some infusion of offense there. Uh, Maybe lower scoring games in this series. As I said, I played the under tonight. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Padres here. Where, yeah, they've won 13 of 14 playing the Rockies twice, the Cardinals and the Mariners. But now this week, they play the Brewers, the Astros, the Cubs. Then when they get back home, the Mets and the Cubs again. So the Brewers stepping up in class a little bit here. We'll see how they do with that, facing some better teams and some better pitchers. Dodgers and the Astros play a quick two-gamer that should be very entertaining down in the Lone Star State. Clayton Kershaw, Zach Greinke on Tuesday, Trevor Bauer, Luis Garcia on Wednesday. The Dodgers, as I mentioned, play the Giants for four this weekend. So maybe one eye towards that. I don't know. Also, probably, you know, have a bone to pick with the Astros playing them for the first time since that cheating scandal really broke uh, from, you know, what the Astros did in 2017 and 2018. Trevor Bauer is vilified in Houston. He talked a lot about Garrett Cole using foreign substances and all of that. The atmosphere on Wednesday should be absolutely off the charts for that game at Minute Maid Park. But two elite offenses here, pretty good pitching. I may take Kershaw and the Dodgers on Tuesday a little bit worried about what we've seen from Zach Granke here lately, but you know a very compelling and complex two-game series down at the juice box. Finally, the Reds and the Nationals here. Tyler Mayo, Max Scherzer tomorrow night, Jeff Hoffman and Joe Ross on Wednesday, Sonny Gray, Steven Strasburg on Thursday. A lot of people still not sure if the Reds can keep up this pace offensively, understandably so. Nationals Park, when it warms up, though, does play quite a bit smaller. So maybe we get some runs in this series. We'll have to wait and see what these totals look like. Good pitching matchup on Tuesday. I wonder if Sonny Gray takes some money again on Thursday. I think that's a possibility. And as I said, I'll be watching to see if money comes in against Jeff Hoffman for that Wednesday start, much like what we saw, much like what we've seen on a few of Hoffman's recent starts. Covered a lot of ground here on the show. Once again, skatingtripods at gmail.com. If you want the notes for the podcast i'll be back on ats radio on tuesday with brian blessing talking nhl playoffs golf and nascar so you'll have something to look forward to with that and of course download that ats app from the google play store or the apple store that'll do it for me thank you so much for listening everybody and remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box